Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Monday morning, and I'm Jack Lucas. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer. They can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day, Jack went too far. It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. Yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, he stumbled into Perry's. Unhand that degenerate and remove your presence! I like New York in June. How about you? Welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and see how they hold up through the modern eye. I'm Robert Larone. With me, as always, is Blaine Waters. And today we have a very fishy movie. Fishy? <laughs> yeah, that's like not, it smells or I, yeah. I didn't think that went through very well. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to that, first of all, we want to thank our Patreons. Those are the people who give us a little bit of money each month. Could be one, could be three, could be five dollars, mm-hmm. and that helps us keep the podcast going. As we say, it helps keep the lights on, mm-hmm. which is a metaphor for keeping us alive. <laughs> Yeah, we don't need lights. This is a this is you know audio no. format. You don't need to see us. No, that's right. Our our eyes have actually atrophied. <laughs> we only guide ourselves yeah. by hearing. We we're, developed we're like cave a crude bugs. sonar. <laughs> crude sonar. <laughs> we're dolphins, really. Yeah, but thank you guys for doing that. And in return, you get. The podcast early and ad free. You yeah. also get bonus content, like you get a bonus episode every once in a while. Last mm-hmm. time it was Requiem for a Dream. Who knows what it'll be next time? <laughs> yeah, and you can get like a classic episodes through the podcast where, that we like kind of pair with the movie. Yeah, that's right. It's like a fine dining experience, it except is. you just get two podcasts and your stomach's still <laughs> empty. It's like dinner in a movie, but like uh, podcast and another podcast. <laughs> it's more the same, really. You're just gorging yourself on podcasts. <laughs> it's not healthy. Take a break. But if you want to give, go to patreon.com slash rewatchability, and you can sign up there. Mm-hmm. Today, we have a very special movie to talk about. I love this movie. I love this movie, too. Mm-hmm. It is The Fisher King, 1991's fantasy, dramatic, epic comedy by Terry Gilliam. It's a romance? bunch of shit. There's so much in it. I didn't get the romance. No, there was there was no romance for you. I, but you know, well, maybe okay. you can show it to me, point it out yeah. when we go I'll along teach you the how way. To love. All right. And I wanted to talk about this movie because Terry Gilliam has finally. Oh man! It's finally coming out. Oh. It's his film, the what's it called? The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. I was like, Man of La Mancha? No, that's not right. That's the that's the doc he made about trying to make this movie the first time. No, that's the musical from oh. the sixties, Man of La Mancha. Lost in La Mancha. Lost in La Mancha is the documentary. Have you seen that documentary? I did a long time ago and I yeah. started rewatching it again. And what I got from it is Terry Gilliam is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, there was a lot of externalities that made it difficult on it's him. True, it's but true. he's also kind of like a coarse man. You know, I, I think why it works so well is because he is such a quixotic figure. <laughs> right. So, but the first reviews came out and they were not good. Oh, of this new movie? Yeah, of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Oh my god. But I, in reading what it sounds like, it does sound like a very Gilliam-esque film. I think I'm still really interested in watching it. And I, sh- I feel like it was unfair to color people's view of that film by saying... With reviews? Yeah. Aren't they supposed to do that? I, I mean, you we do do that, but I don't know if it's the best way to watch a movie. Because yeah. if you already come in there thinking of what it is, then it's hard to get another impression. Yeah, that's true. So... You know, and we've told you The Fisher King is a great movie. Now you have no choice but to agree with us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I want Adam Driver's career. That guy was working with like every major director from the past 20, 30 years. I know. It's he's insane. just in everything. And he's kind of okay. <laughs> he's okay. I don't know how bitter I am about him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's an acquired taste, but yeah, he has like, he's full of personality. I I like him when he goes space. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the Coen Brother movie. That he had me there. Okay. <laughs> but Blaine, when was the first time that you saw The Fisher King? This was one of those movies that we had around the house, and my mom loved this movie. It was one of her favorite movies uh, as well. So I would watch it with her. I'd watch it on my own. Wow. This is like one of my more rewatched movies. This is formative for you. Yeah, it definitely was. And I loved Robin Williams. I watched all of Robin. Like, this is kind of the performance for me for Robin Williams. Right. Like, some, a lot of people, it's the genie or whatever. This, this <laughs> is like, this is my Robin Williams. I thought Will Smith played the genie. <laughs> But this is this is my Robin Williams. This is the Robin Williams that I kind of grew up on and kept on going right. back to to see. I think it's just a brilliant. That's performance. a high bar. That must have ruined a lot of Robin Williams performances for you. You're like RV, no fucking Fisher King, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was like Patch Adams, baby. Uh, yeah, so I, I loved this movie when I first saw it. I would like write out scenes from it and stuff like that, like transcribe it. Really? And stuff. Yeah. I yeah I I loved uh, everything about it. I loved the direction of it. Although sometimes it makes me feel queasy to watch it yeah. again because it's so all the canted angles yeah. and the colors. But he's so good, and I think it might be one of uh, people will argue with me about this uh, till the end of time with Brazil out there. But I think it might be one of the best Terry Gilliam movies. Whoa! Yeah. So I mean, that's it's a tough because Terry Gilliam has has made at least. Three good movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And about 20 movies that... No, I mean... Yeah, Tideland? That's got to be... No. It's hard. I Because I, I also love Terry Gilliam. Yeah. I love all of his movies. I love his Monty Python connection. Oh, yeah. I am rooting for him 100% of the way, but I also... He just makes it so hard sometimes. Yes. <laughs> By by making poor films, yeah, and right. also by running his mouth off a lot. Oh man, yeah, just a bristly guy. Just shut up, <laughs> <laughs> shut up and direct, Harry. <laughs> Make the Fisher King too. <laughs> Don't you know? listen to Blaine. <laughs> That's, That's a, a horrible idea. idea. Yeah. When did you first see this movie? I'm pretty sure I saw this on video. I think we rented it. At my dad's place, we would just rent a whole bunch of movies, and this was one of them that stuck with me. And growing up, I too, well, I mean, I had a complicated relationship with Robin Williams because I obviously loved the stuff that he did when I was younger, when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I also was really interested when he started making those like dark movies, like One Hour Photo and Death to Scoochie. You know, they didn't all work, but they were interesting choices. So I really like those sorts of films. But then a lot of what Robin Williams did didn't really work. A lot of it was, you know, just sort of for kids. A lot of it was very smarmy or sentimental in ways that I don't think played very well. So I had very complicated feelings about Robin Williams for a long time. And of course, Robin Williams passed away a few years ago mm-hmm. and I remember when we found out because we were coming out of a screening of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at my phone and that was the news Jesus and you know we had to reevaluate what this person meant to us because he was such a big feature mm-hmm. in our lives and the first thing I did I think when I got home was I watched The Fisher King yeah Because it was the one that I think meant the most to me as a Robin Williams film. And there's a few 
where he sort of hits the same sort of balance of comedy and and drama and yeah, good meaningfulness. Morning, Vietnam. Yeah. yeah. But this was the one that did it for me. So I, I remember that we I had a I thought we'd actually already talked about this movie right. on the podcast. And I remember we did talk about it a bit when we talked about Robin Williams after he passed away. So mm-hmm. I had a very weird deja vu thing. But I love this movie and it's been a while since I've seen it, I, mm-hmm. at least as long as Robin Williams has been gone. Right. And now it's a little bit easier, I think, to maybe look at it critically without feeling the immediacy of that. Of like of Robin that, Williams' death? Of that loss. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it would be hard to like, like the day he dies, be like, I don't know about his performance in The yeah. Fisher King. <laughs> I don't know. I think he might be overrated, guys. Like, no one wants to be that person. Well, I mean, that's not my opinion anyway. Like, I think it is a good performance. I think we can definitely be critical of the movie. But watching it now, as a lot of people have noted, as Terry Gilliam himself noted when he was talking about the movie for its Criterion release, watching it now after Robin Williams is gone is not the same. It's a whole different experience. And it's a... It's a heavier movie because of yeah, it. Yeah, there's some gravitas to it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, well, let's huh. get into it. Let's run down the movie. So Robin Williams is the king of fishing. No, that's not. Did you? You're right, it's Bob Azumi. <laughs> thought it was Dorf. <laughs> so Robin Williams. No, we start with Jeff Bridges. Yeah, that's right. So it's. <laughs> yes. I did it again, but I wrote down Jeff Daniels on my notebook. No, no. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Uh, you have Jeff blindness. This <laughs> is awful. So Jeff Bridges, he is this shock jock radio announcer personality guy, I guess. Yeah. His name is Jack Lucas. He's sort of like a waspier Howard Stern. Yeah. He's a shock jock. Yeah, except he hates the waspy people of New York. He's like, you know, he feels apart from it, but he's definitely part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And he he's one of these guys. He takes these calls in. He listens to people's problems. He doesn't really care about them. No. And he also has like this, you know, misogynistic sort of outlook and attitude. I mean, I know that they were playing with... Howard Stern mm-hmm. when they made this movie, but right now, I mean, it resonates in a whole fucking different way. Oh with, my like, god, Alex his... fucking Jones. Yeah, well, and his sign off, like what he was like. What's his sign off? His sign off was like, "You guys enjoy your weekend. Y'all be found in a limo with the teenager of my choice." I was like, "Oh god." Yeah. Like I know we're meant to hate this guy, but uh, <laughs> oh, do we hate this guy? We hate him. <laughs> like. I think that might have been like a funnier line back in 91 when yeah. the world was more callous and hated young people. Yeah, I feel like that was the attitude though. Like there was definitely some of that. And like the 80s had this period where in particular men could be like, I can have it all. And yeah. you know, that's what this character definitely is. Like whenever he's on screen, they're playing, I got the <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he has the power. He is the patriarchy. Yeah, and then he like signs everyone off with like hit the road, Jack. He's like, get the fuck oh, out yeah. of here. Yeah, I do love that song. It's a good song. Yeah, yeah. What's but- that movie with Michael Keaton that we've always meant to do? We did Multiplicity. There is no <laughs> other Michael Keaton movie in my mind. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> it'll come back. Okay. Yeah, okay. But so. He is getting ready to audition for this part for this TV show called On the Radio. Sorry, now all I'm thinking about is that movie. It's the one with the, in, the patients, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, I was on the same tape I taped off TV with the quick change and shit. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. But he's auditioning for this part in this TV show, and it's yeah. it's practically made for him. It's called On the Radio, right? Yeah. He's on the radio. <laughs> exactly. And it has a catchphrase. Yeah. Well, forgive <laughs> me! <laughs> 
which is is great because this guy says so many things and then never apologizes. Yeah. So this TV show is kind of teaching him how to be a better man just in the audition. Well, it's definitely interesting how he's like repeating that line over and over again. Yeah. And it seems like there's like a tension or a contrast that's definitely Terry Gilliam's playing with. Yeah. Well, and it's said so much before he does this big thing in this movie that he has to be forgiven for, right? Yeah. So he's just reminded that he needs forgiveness again and again in this movie. Yeah, before he realizes it. Yeah, exactly. But he's going to realize it soon because he turns on the television right as he's ready to do it. He's like, let's go, motherfuckers. And he sees himself on TV. Nothing new happens to all of us. His three TVs. They're all 13-inch. We all have three 13-inch TVs. 36 inches all in total. Yeah, add it up like that. That's how it works. Uh, (laughs) Um, Just get an adapter. (laughs) But what has happened is there has been a horrific mass shooting, which the media has already linked him to. Mm -hmm. It's a fan of his program that has gone out and do this. And it was just after he was talking to him. Yeah. And he told him to do it. They need to be stopped. These people must be stopped. They could be killed. Yeah. 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 And so he does it. He goes to this restaurant and he opens fire. And Jeff Bridges in this moment is so good when he just like kind of brings his hand, a trembling hand to his face and sits down. It's great. And he realizes his entire life is just gone in that one moment. For sure. And if it were only like that in reality. (laughs) Can we please have a bit of that, Lord, whatever it is. A little bit of that karma, a little bit of that justice, you know? The screenwriter and Terry Gilliam are setting this guy up to be, like, the worst guy. He's he's a bad, bad human being, and the worst thing they can think of him to do is to say this stuff and then to feel bad for it. Whereas, like, today, Alistair Jones would be like, it's a false flag, (laughs) and you're like, how can you be that evil? They were actors! It's like a creative person can't even imagine someone that evil. I mean, but aren't you just, weren't you just shocked watching this scene that just how fucking awful and relevant it is? Oh, man. Yeah. Stuff like Christchurch and all of that stuff, like the way that media in particular is able to not manipulate people, but I think give people permission to do these terrible things. Definitely. And when one of those people is like the leader in chief of your country, then like you you fall behind that. You think that that's your whole country because, you know, he speaks for your whole country. So when he's, you know, twittering and saying awful things about people, you're like, oh, yes, this is my country. I belong. Yeah. It's awful. And it really makes me think, what awful things have we made people do? (laughs) (laughs) We've made them watch Multiplicity. Yeah. And I think that's horrible. (laughs) No, we've gotten comments where people are like, forgive me. (laughs) Forgive me. No, I think like, I don't know, for some people we ruin their childhood movies and they're like, why do you have to go after the Ghostbusters? It's like, we like the Ghostbusters. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, not everybody's a fan of our humor. (laughs) (laughs) It's an acquired taste. And sometimes I feel like people don't get our jokes and it makes me very angry. But I also have to think, like, am I making jokes that are bad? Like, for example, we got a bad review on iTunes because somebody, yeah, somebody thought one bad review. That's horrible. (laughs) But somebody thought that. Remember when we were talking about Muriel's wedding and you told that trivia about Tony Collette getting the period on her white pants? And then I was like, ew, periods. Like, I was joking about it, right? <laughs> right, yeah. They were like... I mean, you're an adult man. I don't think you get It's disgusting that. that you people are disgusted by women's bodies. You're like 15-year-olds. It was a joke! <laughs> I mean... That's the real reason why I wanted to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Red Knight coming to visit. <laughs> Is that what that means? <laughs> it's the period. It's chasing Ew, Robin Williams around town. <laughs> Ew, girls. Yeah, I mean, sh- the reviewer does have us pegged as 15-year-olds, though. I mean, that is true. Yeah, we we're, are. We're, we're trapped. That's we're trapped. That's that absolutely, age. they yeah. got us there. So, but Jeff Bridges, his life very quickly falls into shambles. He starts drinking. He loses everything. It's three years later that we next see him, and he is living with somebody who runs a video store. Mm-hmm. It's a woman played by Mercedes Rule. 
Oh, she rules. She does rule. She's so good. She's yeah. so good. Why wasn't she in every movie in the 90s? Because uh, sexism. Uh, probably. Everybody else in this movie gets to have like amazing careers. Robin Williams, Jeff yep. Bridges, maybe not Michael Jeter. <laughs> right. But he's done some stuff. And uh-huh. uh, Mercedes uh, Rule has done some stuff, too. Yeah. She was on Frasier yeah. with David Hyde Pierce, who's also in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So... Hey, here's the happiness. Yeah. Are you gonna do a little work today or what? What out there? They're not terrorists, Jack. They're just ordinary people like you and me. Breakfast of champions, right? But she's just, I feel like she should have gotten an Oscar nom. Like, she plays this character with Sir? So- what? Can I stop you? Please. She got an Oscar nom. For this movie? She won the fucking Oscar. Oh! Best Supporting Actress, motherfucker. That's so great. Yeah. I hope that wasn't one of your trivias. Well, it's sort of tied in. But okay. I, it, it stays intact. Because I know sometimes some of these are common knowledge. So yeah. Gotta no. be able to like improvise a bit. Learn that from Robin Williams. <laughs> the improvising? Yeah. That's good. <laughs> or, or just about periods again. <laughs> I learned about periods. Because <laughs> he did the Patch Adams. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh. I don't know if I've seen Patch Adams. Uh, it's all about periods. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not <laughs> two stars. <laughs> but yeah, his life has gone to crap. He lives above the video store with the lady. He sometimes sort of helps out there, or she harangues him to help out, and he wanders out drunk. Also, a video store. Yeah, what a what a magical relic for Terry Gilliam to bring to us <laughs> from the realm of fantasy. What is this place where you go out into the world and rent videos, rent movies? Yeah. Also, their video store setup was awful. Yeah. Like, they they didn't they had, uh, they had just shelves with like empty cases that any any wind could blow over, and then also the porn. Was in their office. You gotta have a beaded curtain. You gotta have the beaded curtain. You have to have low light in the back. Mm-hmm. The whole, all the walls painted black yeah. for some reason. <laughs> um, one black light, just so they can tell. Box of Kleenexes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, because people often get colds, and yeah. it's you know you get the yeah. sniffles. Exactly. Well, especially taking that much emotion, you know. Yeah. Uh, but who would rent porn there if you have to go back and be like, "Hey, manager, I'm renting this one." <laughs> this made no sense, the well, story. Well, all the porns were bad parodies of movies like Ordinary Peepholes. Yeah, yeah, Creamer was... versus Creamer, <laughs> which is pretty good. It might just be about coffees. <laughs> Who knows? You're not taking my dick. Wait, you're not taking my load. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. I'm sorry. My dick is... Now his we're... name is Richard. This <laughs> <laughs> is poor. But so he his life is bad. He is drinking too much and he decides that he's going to end his life. He he puts yeah. he goes to the river and he straps some cinder blocks onto his feet and he's prepared to jump in and end his life. When Deus Ex Machina kind of of dicks, there's <laughs> these two fucking, you know, yeah. teenagers who come and they think he's homeless. Right. When before he wouldn't even give the time of day to a homeless person. No, we saw that in the first. That's right. We understand that he is not a big fan of homeless people, but now they think he's homeless. Yeah. And tables have turned. Yeah. And so they pour gasoline on him Mm -hmm. because that is a thing that fucking monsters do to people. Yeah. And luckily, he's saved by Robin Williams. By a plunger to the groin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robin Williams shows up in, like, full knight outfit. He has, like, plunger, bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. It's weird. He's it's... like the trash knight of Hoboken. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's Peter Pan. It's like he literally came from Hook it's into this movie. It's Peter Panish, but he's yeah. actually playing, like, a, a riff off the Percival character. Yeah. Which from the Arthurian legend. And Mm -hmm. we get a little bit of the Arthurian legend later because Perry explains the whole Fisher King thing, which is the name of the movie. Yeah, exactly. But he saves his life and takes care of him for a bit. Yeah, it takes him into his like kind of weird cellar basement room, Mm -hmm. the boiler room of a basement, this building. And uh, he tells him that uh, I think he tells him right there about the his quest. Yeah. To get the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He thinks he's on a quest from God. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but 
Jack, the little people who only Perry can see, right. tell him, yeah. is the chosen one. Mm-hmm. The one to get the Holy Grail. Because he can't get the Holy Grail because there's this red knight. The period. <laughs> right, the period. <laughs> the red wave coming in. Uh, all this, all this sem- me- semiotics and right, yeah. It all. I never got this lair before. No, it's a whole feminist thing. No, I, I, Terry Gilliam was not, not thinking about it's that. It's not a feminist at thing all. at all. Uh, we will talk about some of the problems with this movie as we go along. Although it does pass the Bechdel test, this movie. Well. Yeah, for, Does it? for one scene, yeah, it, it, which is nice to see. But, uh, yeah, he, Perry tells Jack, he's like, you are going to help me get this Holy Grail, and that's how you can help me. And Jack just wants to, like, give him money and get out of there. Yeah, he doesn't care. But the guy whose place he's letting him stay in, the landlord, eventually yeah. reveals to him that his wife yes. was killed in the shooting by the, the Jack Jack's fan. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, so he feels partly responsible. Yeah, this is I love this part of the story. It feels like I'm I know where we're at in the story. It's good writing. We're snappy. We're right to it and it's we get writing. into like the the kind of second act where we can have the fun and games now. It gets all out of the way really fast. Mm-hmm. I love that about this. Yeah. And I guess the fun and games you're talking about is the part where they stalk Amanda Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the fun and games is more like preparing Perry to go on a date. Oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a nicer way to put it. <laughs> because Perry reveals that he's obsessed with Christopher Plummer's daughter, <laughs> which, why not? Yeah, she's she's nice. Good genes. Yeah. But he, like, follows her as she goes to work. He sees her every day as she's in the Grand Central Station. Yeah. And then she gets dumplings, and he's, like, looking through the window. And frankly, this is supposed to be kind of sweet, but now feels a little bit... Yeah, yeah. I mean... It is the kind of classic 90s teen story, too, where, like, you can't hardly wait. It's like, she's too perfect for me. Mm-hmm. I've put her on a pedestal and, and this sort of thing, which is dangerous to both people in that situation. It's dangerous. You can fall off a pedestal. <laughs> yeah. You can strap yourself into that pedestal. <laughs> so we've seen it a lot before, and I think we're wiser to that imbalance now because it is kind of a mental imbalance. Yeah. To just not just go up and talk to the person. Please don't just... Or don't go up and talk to the person. Maybe just uh, talk to people that you already know. Well, you you can't meet new people. I don't think you should be, like, haranguing strangers in public for their phone number. Well, not for their phone number, but you can talk to people in public. You can talk to people under certain circumstances. Don't talk to me in public. (laughs) I've told you about that before. Yeah, I hate how I have to walk a block behind you to get here. We (laughs) get off at the same stop. Well... And I'm just... (laughs) But... I was doing some reading, and Scott Tobias, who used to write for the AV Club, mentioned that it's basically the same situation as Taxi Driver. Like, he has an obsession with a woman he's never talked to. He thinks she's an angel. And how does that turn out? (laughs) Seriously, how does that turn out? We haven't rewatched it. No, we don't don't, don't, Taxi Driver. But, yeah, so it's... It is a, it's kind of endearing because it's Robin Williams and you know that that like guy uh, and character has the best intentions and he's homeless. I feel like <laughs> that makes it no, a lot but, better. But <laughs> but I feel like he's he has, struggling with his mental health, so he's ready for the dating world. <laughs> but I think he's afraid of that too. Like I think mm-hmm. he's afraid of of what that means for him. F- for him, that for, is true. And, because- and for her, and they're like he's like I don't want to bring this to her. Some like some part of him is just like I just like that it's like an unhealthy obsession from right. afar, right? Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. But they do cook up a scheme to get them, you know, actually talking. Where yeah. Jeff Bridges calls her up and uh, offers her free membership to the video store. I mean, I think they have a good business model here, where yeah. they just help stalkers meet their their loved ones. Yeah, you know? that's a good. That's no, no, no. it's awful. It's so awful. It's like the beginning of that Netflix show, You or something. Anyway, so she comes to the video store. Well, well she well, won't. She well, won't come to the yeah, video that's store. Right. right? She's not coming to the video store no. until they say she's wise to it. She's. I mean, she's had a stalker she's fall- before. We've all fallen for that one year free video rentals trick, right? Yeah. Yep. How do you think I got on this podcast? <laughs> you owe Blockbuster so much money. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's still one Blockbuster left. That's the only one. What, what was that, like in Alaska or something? Something like that. And I would also be remiss to say at this point, sorry for the digression, 
that our last Queen video in Toronto closed. Oh yeah. So that's like these are really like a, a extinct sort of. They're gone. They're gone. There's like Bay Video. That's the only one left. I know, and I have to like order posters online instead of just going to the video store. And yeah, or you have to go there. to that store where they also sell weed stuff, <laughs> paraphernalia. <laughs> oh right, like, the, the black good. light posters. I get a bog <laughs> poster, yeah. Black Sabbath T-shirt. A lot of pipe cleaners, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but they send Michael Jeter, and I, I'm just gonna play a clip of this because it's so fucking oh, good. She's so good. You must be she. I had a dream, a dream for guess who, Lydia. It wasn't for her, Lydia. It's only for you, yes, Lydia. Some people can get their kicks watching couple and late night flicks. That's okay for some people who don't own VCRs. So fucking good. He's so funny in this. Yeah, he, I mean, Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams and Mercedes and Amanda Plummer get the, obviously, like, the top billing. But he's, like, the fifth Beatle of this movie. And he sort of gets the credit for, like, pulling it off. Because I don't think anybody expected him to give, like, that great a performance or anybody and from the moment he's on screen he's so captivating he's like like buried up in like horse tongue to like his his waist in the middle of central park hoping that someone tramples him trying to commit suicide in the most drastic way possible i remember being so affected by that character the first time i watched this movie when i was very young and obviously i didn't understand anything about Mm. mental illness or anything. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, that guy was really affecting. I think that the line where Jeff Bridges is like, so what was the exact moment you lost your mind? As a joke, as like this one-off, and he responds, it was probably watching all my friends die. Yeah. And and I I was like, it's so gutting. And I remember being like, why did all his friends die? My mom like explaining AIDS to me. And just that being my first conversation about like the the perils of being gay in the 80s. And it was, uh, yeah, it was so affecting me. Like my godfather, my father figure was gay. So I didn't know anything about it. It was just yeah. like this affecting scene where I was just so worried for everyone that like him and everyone he knew. Yeah. yeah. And it's such an off the wall character, but I love the humanity of the character. Yeah. Like, he can he he does this huge singing moment which we just heard, but then he falls into like <laughs> this amazing just like horribleness of his actual life. <laughs> it makes you understand him so much better. I also love when he says Venice when he's like, "Take me away, take me away," and he's like, "Where <laughs> Venice? <laughs> yeah. I want to be Audrey Hepburn <laughs> like, or Catherine Hepburn. Either one. Yeah. I thought you know what? It's all Either a step one. up for me." <laughs> But so they have their date and it kind of goes well until the end where Amanda Plummer, she sort of overthinks the whole thing, thinks that, yeah, he's she's going to invite him up for coffee and they'll have sex and then he'll never call her. Yeah, she kind of narrates their whole lives. Yeah, yeah. And then she runs away. And this part is a little bit weird because Robin Williams, you know, when a, when a lady tells you that, you know, she's had enough and, you know, she's not feeling very good, you say good evening and, you know, maybe follow right. up with a text message. Yeah, yeah, you got a text. <laughs> got a text. Well, like, give it, like, 24 hours. You know, had a nice time. Yeah. If you're interested, maybe we could go to the... Yeah. And then Tartofsky wait... Yeah. at the TIFF. Sure. And then, like, wait until, like, 3 a.m. two nights later and go sup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's how you do it. Yeah. That's how you date. Robin Williams, I mean, granted, he's a l- little bit out of his mind, doesn't know the conventions of dating, he runs up to her and he's like, shut up, shut up! (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she's even talking at this point. He goes, shut up! You shut your mouth! This is how I respect you! Shut up! This is what it's gonna be, lady! It's supposed to be this endearing kind of like, ah, shut up, you know, you, you dame, you know? It it definitely doesn't play in the current moment. No! Wait, one minute. Excuse me. Please wait. Wait. No, listen, I'm not feeling very well. Oh, no wonder. We just met, made love, and broke up, all in the space of 30 seconds. And I don't remember having the first kiss. 
which I think is the best part. Listen, it was so very special to meet you. And it was and for me too, but I think it's time you should shut up now. I... Shut up, please. I'm not coming up to your apartment. That was never my intention. I just hated him so much at that moment. I was like, let her, let her say no to you, you asshole. Yeah. Anyway. But, but what happens after this is that the date starts bringing up all the memories of his wife and what happened. And mm-hmm. we see, like, the scene of the shooting in, like, full, oh almost God. fantastic, but also, like, very real detail. God damn. I totally forgot how violent this movie was. Me like, too. The like, guy... The, like, he gets viscera on his face. Wait, yeah. does viscera... Is that just from the stomach? I don't... It's brains. It's, does brains it, count as viscera? I... I we, we got a... I think... It, uh, we're, we, <laughs> okay, that's fine. We'll it's, it's consult viscera. the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> we'll consult the doctor. It's a coroner, bad. maybe. It's uh, bad. It's really... The, the guy from Briscoe County Jr., who's like Briscoe's sidekick, comes into the bar with like a shotgun. Oh my God, that's the guy? Yeah, that's the same actor. Holy fuck! And he pumps the shotgun, and the first shot is Robin Williams is like kissing his wife, and he leans back, and her face explodes onto his face, and it's it's like David Cronenberg stepped in to direct the scene yeah. for a second. Yeah, it's horrifying. I don't actually know whether I needed that. No, I don't know. And like she's sitting on a I, chair. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need a little. <laughs> she's no. sitting on the chair, then suddenly she's falling two stories to the floor. I know. It's like, oh, it's, and then Robin Williams is cradling the camera with, like, brains dripping down his face. He's like, oh, no! It's so much. I told, I think I, like, blacked this scene out in my memory because it was too much. Yeah. It was too much, Rob. Yeah. Anyway, so he gets attacked by those kids that uh, were going to attack Jeff Bridges. That yeah. He defended himself. That's from. right. And they become, like, the Red Knight. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, he gets beat up and he ends up in a coma. Yeah. And then Jeff Bridges. You know what happens? Yeah. Tell me. He gets his mojo back. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, I set up my friend Perry. That's the albatross off my neck. I'm golden. And so he calls back his agent. He gets his radio career back. He's going to be auditioning for a show about homeless people called Home Free. <laughs> what an awful Happy title. Happy homeless people. Yeah. They, they choose to be homeless. Yeah, and, and our fave guy is outside the building trying to get Jack's attention for, for the last time. Yeah. His last scene in the movie, and Jack just totally ignores him. No, because he has a meeting with Q, John Delancey. <laughs> right, and Q can do anything, so he can do anything for him. I can give him. you this homeless TV show. <laughs> Snaps his fingers. <laughs> uh, and so he kind of realizes how far he's fallen and goes to see Perry again who's been in a coma this entire time right yeah and he decides that he has to get the cup yeah that's the only way to make this right by Perry is to get the the holy grail and he does he like puts on like the homeless person armor repels up the castle mm-hmm. and when he gets there this is the part i forgot that the guy who yeah. owns the holy grail is passed out he's dying he's like taking too many pills yeah he's, he's probably committed, committed suicide. suicide yeah yeah and i mean jeff bridges doesn't really save him well but he he it, could he go does, back up he could go back up the same way and not yeah. set off the alarm yeah but he goes down the easy way and sets off the alarm to save the guy's life and it, it also saves the guy's life also saves him a whole bunch of climbing <laughs> it's true, yeah. Yeah, he didn't It's a wanna, win-win. Two birds. He didn't want to do the rope in gym class. You know, He's fine. Yeah, it's like yeah. two deeds. Yeah, and we see that the Holy Grail is just like a, a cup for a little league game. Yeah. That he won at some point, this rich guy. But he gives Perry the cup, and Perry kind of comes to life when yeah. he sees the cup. And he tells... Jack, that he's saying goodbye to his wife. Is it all right to miss her now? Which is such a lovely little scene between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, and that's the Fisher King. And that's the, well, he, Jack also like goes back to Mercedes and says, Yeah, that's right. I, I, I love you. I love whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he goes, I love, and she's like, Stop right there. Maybe you it's love time me. to let the good ones die. <laughs> the old ones, I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell if you're if you're doing the the one where he was a musician or the one uh, with Lady Gaga. <laughs> I'm both. <laughs> this is both. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the Fisher King. That's great. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and we'll catch another fish. <laughs> what? You can't keep on going back to that that lake. <laughs> we'll reel one in after this break. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We're talking about The Fisher King. Blaine, I have got some trivia. Oh, my God. I'm so for excited. You. I'm going to stump you. And Are you? Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't think... look up anything, but I I do have the screenplay at home. I, d- I have read. I yeah, I love it. Anyway, okay, because my first question is, what's the first word of page fifty three of the screenplay? <laughs> Let me go back through my eidetic memory <laughs> and check. Okay, so Jeff Bridges, Jack Lucas, yeah. loses his part in On the Radio to Harry Shear. Yeah. Big actor plays Spinal Tap. Big actor. Mr. Burns. Yeah. What film does Harry Shearer play a radio announcer? Oh, man. I can see him. You can see him. I don't know. Uh, It's going to be something stupid like Dodgeball or like something like that. What, What is it? It's Wayne's World 2, oh, where he plays I knew Handsome it was a Dan. I knew it was a comedy. Damn it. That's yeah. a good question. These radio things, like movies, things starring radio hosts were like a big thing in the 80s. Yeah, like, you know, I just rewatched talk radio, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, nah. <laughs> no, it's not great. Not great. But uh, A for effort. <laughs> it's an A for effort. I mean, all these radio movies are all about the impact radio has on real life on the host. Yeah. It's like Airheads and... What's wrong with Christian Slater? Oh, man. Did we do Pump, Pump Up, Up the, the Volume? volume. Yeah, we did that, I think right? we did. Oh, yeah. I, I love that movie. Me too. It's such a good movie. Yeah. But it seems like in the 80s, everyone was just... Re- I mean, yeah. No, I guess radio hosts did a lot of bad things. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely did a bad lot. Let's take them and hang them. Folks, at home, go find a terrestrial radio host. <laughs> no. What were, they were calling for violence. They were calling for violence against. We're different. We're podcasts. <laughs> terrestrial radio hosts. We're also aliens, so that helps. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. I guess I couldn't expect you to get that. But for the record, I think half the time when it's really hard, the answer is going to be Wayne's World too. It's like circling C on a multiple choice <laughs> okay. test. It's I'll like keep half that the in time mind. it's Wayne's World. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. So which screenwriter of the film Capote? has a small part in this film as one of the teens who attacks both Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. Oh, I have no idea who wrote Capote. No, I'm, you stumped what? me. What? Yeah. Man, I thought you respected screenwriters. No, I hate them. Because you're jealous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, Dan Futterman, who is also an actor. And interesting enough, he plays Robin Williams' son in The Birdcage. Oh, yeah. Wow. The cage that... of foie. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it the, 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 ca- the casual folly or something like that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the foie. <laughs> it's a cold My cage. My last name's French. I can't speak French. I'm a failure. It's a cold cage. That's great. Isn't that interesting? That relationship took a turn. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. I'm going to pour gasoline on you, Dad. Sorry, Dad. (laughs) I support your lifestyle. (laughs) Just not your homelessness. Ah. (laughs) I love that movie, too. Yeah. It's really good. That's another another great Robin Williams performance, too. Yeah. Yeah. Fosse, Fosse, Fosse. (laughs) That's great. He could do anything. Okay. So my third question for all the points. Okay. This isn't the first film that Terry Gilliam directed that uses Holy Grail symbolism. So what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? I'll, uh, I'm, I'm gonna say you're gonna have to fight me for that one. And I'll lose all my limbs. Okay. I don't care. Bonus question. What is your favorite color? <laughs> Red? <laughs> oh! 
<laughs> oh man, Terry Gilliam's so yeah. good. And he played, didn't he play the bridge keeper? I think so. Yeah. 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 So good. Yeah, what a prickly guy. Nicer times. Yeah. I love Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's, I, I mean, I think it's the best Python movie. Well, I, I love Life of Brian as well. Yeah, I'm. I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard distinction, but I think Holy Grail like edges it out. Mm-hmm. It's just there's so many quotable lines. I don't know. But so how, many great sketches. How weird is it that Terry Gilliam did two movies about Holy Grails? He's obsessed, man. He's obsessed. He has like an obsession. He has an obsessive personality. Like yeah. maybe there's a Holy Grail in Don Quixote. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I felt like this movie was kind of weird because in, instead of just having one metaphor that they kept on going back to, like the Holy Grail metaphor and the Fisher King, mm-hmm. and just being like, you have to just live. and Because the Fisher King story is, for those who don't know, is that the king wants the Holy Grail and none of his knights can bring it to him. And then a fool, years later, uh, wanders into the castle and the king is like, oh, give me water. And the fool gives him the Holy Grail full of water oh. because he he just knew that the king was thirsty. He yeah. just was a, a kind man. But was it the right grail? He turns old really quickly. <laughs> right. Ah! His Nazi pin gets covered over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. You've chosen poorly. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Terry Gilliam decided to do this movie because he was like, I've done one grail. I, <laughs> this I, ain't I, no shit. I got to collect all the grails. Yeah. It's like Pokemon. <laughs> I I think that he likes the Holy Grail. I but I that's one metaphor in this movie, and it's kind of like Jack needs to forgive himself and just live simply, and, right. you know, and and accept the things that are brought to him instead of trying to climb the corporate ladder. And st- but there's a lot of other elements like that that you know of of stories that sort of weave through this. There's also the Pinocchio. That's what thing. I was going to say because most movies have this one theme that they keep on going back to, and it's usually in the title. Yeah. But this movie has the Pinocchio story in it too that they keep on going. Back to that well. Yeah, this guy threw them all in there. Yeah, all, all the archetypal stories. Yes, <laughs> like, I'm be not great. writing my Pinocchio script. <laughs> no, Jordan Peterson can do that. That's, that's his. Big I don't thing. get that reference. Okay, good, good. <laughs> and I'm happy for it. <laughs> You're a better man for it for sure. Some more behind the scenes stuff. I already mentioned that Mercedes Rule won the Oscar for this. She deserved all of that Oscar. But she was also drawn to this movie. I say also because Terry Gilliam must have been drawn to this movie. She was drawn to it by a connection as well because she had done her thesis on The Wasteland, which incorporates... Yeah, that's right, which has the Fisher King up in there. (laughs) <laughs> All up in that business. <laughs> Wasteland's full of Fisher Kings. It's full of Fisher Kings. So she felt like she had a good feeling about this. Well, she definitely had a good feeling about this. That character was would have been nothing without her. Yeah, it's hard to picture another person in that role. She just defines it, and she lives it. It feels like a lived-in role. Like every other role in this movie feels like an actor acting it, but she feels like... She's not acting. This is just who she is. And it's not. Mm-hmm. She's so perfect. And Roger Ebert credited part of that to her décolletage. <laughs> no, Ebert, stop. <laughs> I hate the... I read... Now that we're doing trivia behind the scenes, I read reviews. And all the old reviews are the fucking worst. Yeah, they're terrible. It's like, ah, uh, Mercedes rules. Certainly does rule with her two orbs. And you're like, fuck, <laughs> God damn it. Why do you have to mention her body in your review? You don't mention like you know, Jeff Bridges' like stubbly stomach. Like, he, yeah, it's just objectify Robin Williams. We see some of him in this. We see his ass and his peen. Though I think they shade his peen a bit. <laughs> they do shade his peen. Yeah, you can't show a peen. Yeah, yeah, or a vagine. <laughs> he looks like a woodland animal. <laughs> he, uh, it's it's horrifying. Yeah, I uh, but, when I was a you know, kid, hairy people have feelings too. Well, yeah, when I was a kid, I remember seeing Robin Williams' movie and be like, "He's really hairy. Like that's a lot of hair." And then I and then I grew up and I went, "Fuck you, small Blaine." Yeah, <laughs> god damn it. One time I was riding my bike and I did not wear a shirt. And I rarely do this, but I've seen other people do it, so I sometimes think just, that maybe I can. Just rain boots and shorts, <laughs> no shirt and a beer, just riding your bike. And some child said, look, Mommy, a monster. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, like, actually? Yeah. <laughs> we joke around a lot in this podcast, but that's amazing. I haven't taken my shirt off since. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) 
oh god look mommy a monster that's something that someone would write in a script and someone would be like that's not believable uh, that's not I mean it's funny I guess but mm-hmm. no one would ever say that in real life <laughs> oh my god yeah ah, oh man I'm with you though so Amen. the character of Jack Lucas was obviously based on Howard Stern. They asked Howard Stern's company and Howard Stern if they would send over some tapes so that they could study them of his show. Oh, and Howard Stern was like, I want to be in that movie. Why wouldn't you put me in that movie? I well, want to be in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite. He did ask to be a consultant and to be paid as, as a consultant. <laughs> and they were like, he did. Eh, we can listen to the radio for free. <laughs> we have serious XM, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he didn't get his uh, chance. But, of course, he would go on to make that movie Private Parts, where he stars as himself mm-hmm. in a movie about himself. Yeah. Which I enjoyed when oh, I was younger. I've never but seen it. I, I, I think it's interesting. It has some good stuff in he it. He throws a Frisbee at one point. That's all I remember from the trailer. Yeah, but I also think it would be uh, problematic. <laughs> Just looking into the... Into the- into the awful future problematic yeah Uh, yeah. well I'm glad he didn't consult I don't think this movie needed another voice in it it had so many like just Robin Williams and Terry Gilliam just huge there's a lot happening that's a lot lot yeah a lot of big creative people Mm -hmm. but I think even Howard Stern has sort of softened up since his heyday in the 80s like he's not the same shock jock that he used to be I don't think I think it's easy to be young and angry. It's like, I think when you age, you realize that everyone's just trying to live their life as best as possible. And so, I don't know. I feel hopefully he's come to that same conclusion. I haven't listened. I never listened to Howard Stern. No, I never listened to him either. No. I have no. And like the the parts that I have seen, like when I want to look at, when there's like an interesting guest or something. Yeah. I cannot see myself. You know, listening to that. But I guess back in the day of terrestrial radio, that's who you had to listen to. It was just like you had like a dial, Mm -hmm. and it was that or country music. Yeah, and I think uh, back uh, back in the day when everyone had a a a radio show, I guess, well, in in L.A. or New York, where it was really oversaturated, you had to stand above the crowd. So I'm sure that's why he became the shock jock, the guy that would say anything. And Mm -hmm. that character has been on in every radio, every movie about a radio persona is a shock jock. Is ever just like. A a woman doing the morning show, you know? It's it's never about that. (laughs) Yeah. So before Terry Gilliam was approached, because Terry Gilliam, this is the first movie that he did not have a hand in creating that he directed. Mm. Obviously, you know, he'd done Brazil and Time Bandits and all of that. But this was originally, this is not his idea. He didn't come up with it. The producers actually approached him. But before that, they had wanted James Cameron to work on it. But he... Ooh. Yeah. I know. What? No? James Cameron, the man who has directed The Abyss, Aliens, Terminator, Terminator 2, Titanic. Yeah, no. No, I I, I feel like this movie... uh, James Cameron is an interesting storyteller, and I like his movies, but this movie... Avatar! (laughs) This movie is so much more about... uh, More than the equipment used to film it. (laughs) It's more about the style. And I... Even watching it now, I, I thought that if I was writing this movie... I would have been really upset with Terry Gilliam's version right. of the story because it seems there are so many scenes where Terry Gilliam is settling on one moment or elongating one moment and trying to make it really visual and colorful, mm-hmm. whereas then the scene goes on and the pace is, you know, I, I would have been mad as a screenwriter, I think, but he does such a good job handling this movie and making those moments come to life. And For I don't sure. think James Cameron would have. Anyway, so James Cameron said no? Yeah, he left to do Terminator 2. Okay, that's fair. Everything in its right place. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's a better world for it. Yeah. And Terry Gilliam didn't add much, but the notable thing that he did add was the waltz scene, which came together as they were... They had the other idea that was in the script, which was that he listens to a woman singing, and it wasn't working, so he had the waltz scene. Oh, my God. I can't believe that we forgot to talk about Tom Waits. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, I, as soon as I saw Tom Waits, I was like, yeah, yeah Rob's going to like that. That's great. 
fuck, he's great. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, a they mor- pick up Jimmy Nichols. <laughs> I'm like a moral stoplight. <laughs> Red light. Yeah, he's great. Fucking love Tom Waits. Yeah. Oh man. Also, one of the things I was, I was because I was researching, maybe I'd have a Tom Waits trivia question for you. Oh. Okay. But I thought that wasn't. I thought that was maybe not fair. But I read that Tom Waits' first role. You know who gave him his first role? Uh, Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. What? <laughs> yeah, he was in a Stallone movie. <laughs> Stallone was like, I see some doubt hey. there. <laughs> This is some, you know, gutter kid, you know. I'll give you a chance. <laughs> hey, I like your tongues and your honky uh, tonk, you know. Yeah, oh, hey. look at that piano. It's been <laughs> drinking. Great. Yeah, hey, oh. I'm turning into. I can picture that else. world, though, where, like, you know, Tom Waits and Sylvester Stallone and Francis Ford Coppola and those people all interact. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a weird dinner party. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I looked up some stuff about Michael Jeter because he was so fucking awesome. Oh, so good. And I wanted to, you know, see what else he was up to. Yeah. Um, What's the Jeets doing? Well, he passed away. Okay. But before- So you're going to edit that out, though, right? <laughs> nope. Me being so cavalier with the dead man's name? Well, as long as none of his relatives are listening to the podcast. And, oh, uh, my Lord. Okay. If they are, I'm, we're sorry. But okay. he did some interesting stuff as well. He was on the show Evening Shade, which I've never seen but I've heard of. <laughs> I've never heard of it, but I've seen it. Yeah. No, no. But also he did a bunch of Elmo movies. <laughs> what? Yeah, he was, was like... Was he the voice of Elmo? No, that was Kevin Clash, who okay. you remember had some trouble a while back. Oh, right. But right, right. Uh, this guy was the other character. He played Mr. Noodles' brother, Mr. Noodles. Okay. And many of these were directed by Yoda himself, Frank Oz. Oh, nice. Okay. Who, of course, also directed the score. Yep. And other things. Okay. Uh, I thought that was neat. Yeah, that is neat. That's cool. I can definitely picture him doing uh, children's entertainment. Uh, Now I'm going to have to watch a goddamn Elmo movie just to see more Jeter. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to have to watch four Elmo movies. (laughs) God damn it. What have you done to me? Uh, Yeah, I I should, because I did mention that this movie passed the Bechdel test. The one scene where it does is where um, the two, the only two women in this movie are hanging out, getting their nails did, and... The Mercedes calls Amanda Plummer uh, a stone cold bitch, and they love each other for that. That like truth. Uh, That's a good moment. It's a great scene. But I have to contest that it passes the Bechdel test. Okay. Because the whole reason that she is doing Amanda Plummer's nails is because she is trying to get him on a date with sure. Robin Williams. Okay, so that's the reason. Who is a man? <laughs> And with his shirt off, what a man. Uh, <laughs> More of a... Monster. <laughs> oh, no. Ah, the red knight, the red knight. No, it's PTSD from your one bike ride. Um, I, I would contest that because the, the Bechdel test, uh, you do have to have a conversation not about a man with, between two women. And so it doesn't have to be the reason why you're meeting up to talk about it. Subtextually, it's about the man. Passing the Bechdel test would be like if they were at the grocery store. <laughs> no, they talk about their moms. They talk about they talk about a lot of things. I I'm don't gonna, know. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna call Allison Bechdel. Okay, <laughs> this is this is like who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> Our Colin is Allison Bechdel all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. And she's just like, I will never <laughs> listen to your podcast. <laughs> you were too. I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, you guys try to be feminists, but then you hate periods. <laughs> yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> Damn it, she wrote that review. <laughs> well, I didn't like Fun Home. Oh I my did. God, you Not did. It's uh, it's a good it's one. Cool. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, it's fun. It's a great yeah. musical. Yeah. This should be a mutant. No, it shouldn't. Well, why not? They're making everything else a musical. Why not the Fisher King musical? You know what? This Sondheim? <laughs> sure, okay. I love New York. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It could be good. A Gershwin tune in there? Yeah, can yeah. you imagine? That would be, I can see it. It would come alive. Because this movie has like the right blend of fantasy, sure. of drama. It yeah. combines different worlds in like an interesting way that theater is really able to do because you can just... You know, turn the set on like mm-hmm. a thing, and then hey, now it's Arthurian. Hey, now you're homeless. Hey, now your career's back. <laughs> hey, now there's video stores. But you're right; it is it is dynamic enough to probably support a, a musical behind it. It has a great big story behind it, it too. Has a great like big story that uh, the the happenstance of the guy who 
orchestra almost like accidentally orchestrated the murder of a man's wife mm-hmm. meeting that man years later and being saved by him mm-hmm. just such like that coincidental thing to start off a musical yeah okay okay i see it let's see do it. it all right well, you and me let's write yeah the musical <laughs> be great okay so blaine what did you think of the fisher king i know it used to be your favorite movie i know that it was formative to you i know you grew up with it but i want the honest truth is it rewatchable uh, uh, you're got you're right it's creepy you're right it's creepy i don't want to admit it but robin williams being like oh and she buys a book every day and i read the same books and i was like oh no it's too much and that can that's problematic but it's how you got your wife well yeah she stalked me forever <laughs> <laughs> i love romance books and she read all of them i think that it's still such a like a, a beautifully directed movie mm-hmm. the acting is is phenomenal the story the writing is just i think it, it holds up doesn't get caught in the kind of movies of the of the day i think it elevates itself above kind of the like, you know, we've done a lot of them on, on the show where you'd be like, I'd see that movie on TV right now. Like, mm-hmm. it would never make it to the theaters because it doesn't have that story. This story is so good. Because it doesn't have fucking Captain America. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I think this movie is, is really rewatchable. There's always little things to notice going on in the background. Uh, the, the board looks on the server's faces in the restaurant mm-hmm. as they, as they pan back in that one scene. I always look at someone different and they're all so horribly bored. It just makes me laugh. It makes me happy. It kind of makes me queasy a little bit. God damn you, t- Gary, uh, Terry Gilliam. And you're like, Gary Tilliam. Gary Tilliam. <laughs> He's like Ontario's wildflower, right? <laughs> Gary Tilliam. in a hot tub. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I just think it's a beautiful movie and, you know, it does, it does make you look not as much as a, a movie about homelessness and, and going into that does, but it, it does have that meta reaction of someone going to do this stupid TV show that's about happy homeless people. Mm-hmm. And you realize like you're watching a movie about happy homeless people. Well, it definitely flirts with that. Yeah. And I think saves itself. It does save itself for sure. Cause there's like the super duper magical homeless person is a trope. It definitely is a trope. It is also a trope that, like, oh, love can fix me. And, yeah. and, and like, I can be fixed by love. Love can't fix shit. No, no. You're going to bring the same shit into every relationship. So, mm-hmm. you know, get that figured out. Therapy. Yeah. That God, fixes shit. That helps. Yeah. I've heard. Uh, and so I think that Robin Williams being so, like, everything's great at the end, it, it does subvert that trope by having Perry not be like okay in the end and he's like no i did learn something and and chasing money is not the thing that is going to be me i'm going to make it myself so yeah i think it succeeds on so many levels it's just a beautiful movie to watch uh what about you rob i think it's the one that got away Okay. No, I'm kidding. It's great. <laughs> I just try to use a fish thing, and that's the only fish thing I could think of. So, yeah, I was like, the one that got away, from, but we reviewed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's such a good movie, and I watched it with my girlfriend who'd never seen it before, and she really loved it, and I really loved revisiting all of the like moments, and so much of it is so fun, and like the fantastic elements are just like a joy to to revisit mm-hmm. and it made me think about like that style of movie like it really opened it up i think for movies like uh pan's labyrinth to yep. be mainstream successes and basically guillermo del toro's entire career <laughs> <laughs> he owes I mean, it to gilliam i you need a gilliam before you have a guillermo right I think. you need like a time bandits before you you have that or a fisher king yeah. Interesting. And yeah, I just, this movie hits a lot of the sweet spots for me. I love that it has like a, a literary connection. To I Pinocchio, love. Pinocchio, yeah. <laughs> I love Pinocchio. <laughs> sure. Your nose just grew longer when you said that. I don't think you do. Yeah. Everything is so great in this movie. It has Tom Waits. What else do you want? And Jeff Bridges, <laughs> I think, gives like a really great performance. And he, I'm always reminded of such, how he's such a solid actor. And doesn't have to be because his dad's famous. Yeah. Well, and you know uh, who Jeff Bridges is better than in this movie? Who? Uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. I think Jeff you Daniels son- could pull it off. <laughs> you son of a bitch. He could have done it. Daniel. <laughs> Jeff Blindness. 
Um, yeah, so I it's totally rewatchable. And if you haven't seen The Fisher King, I definitely think it's one that you should check out because it's one of Robin Williams' best performances. Absolutely. It's one of Terry Gilliam's greatest movies. Mm-hmm. It has great performances by Amanda Plummer and Mercedes Rule. And I think it, I mean, you're not wrong with the, the horrible metaphor of the one that got away. But, because it is one of those movies that kind of slipped through the cracks. And I don't think people talk about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. To, so much, so often to like stay into like the public's eye has to be part of a franchise mm-hmm. or... Yeah. Yeah, this is just like a lovely original story based on another story. I guess that has previous IP <laughs> in Arthurian legend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Whoever wrote Arthurian legend is going to sue. Yeah. It's going to be. It's probably Jesus, right? He like, probably wrote them. Not another thing, Terry Gilliam was like. <laughs> I guess I'll have to not release Lost in La Mancha or whatever my movie is called. I can't even remember. <laughs> Terry Gilliam is so old now. Yes, that's horrible. Yeah, He's forgetting things. Well, that's what happens. Yeah. You know. Are you gonna? Do you have any interest in seeing his movie? Yeah, I'll probably see it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna. I wanna see what he's done with the movie he's been chasing his whole life. Yeah. His whole Whether life led been, up to this moment. You know. Swing at windmills or whatever. Yeah, tilting at windmills, yeah. Is that how it, yeah, it's yeah, tilting. Yeah. What does tilting mean? It's like tilting on your horse, like with the javelin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think so, anyway. I thought like pinball machines, like if you <laughs> tilt with it. The tilt the... Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I really, I hope it's great. I want to see it. I think Terry Gilliam, even if he doesn't make perfect movies all the time, he's always making interesting choices. I mean, he obviously has a lot of his favorite themes and a lot of things that he's really good at. In the art department. Yeah. Yep. And well, I, that's why I want him to just direct and not like write these movies. Because when he's just directed and not written, it's been amazing. Yeah. Like 12 Monkeys was the other one we were oh, thinking of I this love week. 12 Monkeys. And that's a great movie. We'll have to do that at some point. For sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I should mention that this movie was written by Richard uh, Givanese. Yeah. Sorry. La Richard Lagivanese, yeah. who also wrote such classics as The Ref. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. Bridges of Madison County. Oh, wow. <laughs> Feeling lucky, Bridges. <laughs> Jeff Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> also, what I still haven't seen it, but I would love to see it sometime. Behind the Candelabra. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. the Liberace movie, which yeah. I hear is so good. Yeah, I've never seen it. Uh, we'll someday. Yeah. Yeah. So that's rewatchability for this week. Thanks for listening. As always, if you'd like to, you can donate on Patreon. You can subscribe on iTunes and leave a review there if you like, if you get our jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's satire. I'm satirizing a guy who is grossed out by, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let it go. Let it go, Rob. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter or email us at rewatchability at gmail.com. If you have a movie that you would like us to cover, we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Hit us up. Yeah. And keep, I, I don't have a sign off. <laughs> keep fishing. I got the power. <laughs> Gone fishing. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.